Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. So if you got a Bible with me, turn with me to turn to Matthew. I'm sorry, not Matthew, John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning as we launch a new series of messages entitled Commissioned. John chapter 20, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me and you can follow along there as we read it together this morning. But in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, we'll read down through verse 23 together. John writes these words, On the coming of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is God's Word. And church, as we start this series this morning, I want to build a bridge. And it's not a bridge over a river or a lake or a creek or a lowland area, but it's a bridge between our previous series of messages and this series of messages. Right, for the last six weeks, we've been looking at holy habits, like d- disciplined discipleship, those, those habits in our lives that form our hearts as followers of Jesus. And so we've talked about Bible reading and worship. We've talked about giving and fasting. We've talked about service and prayer last week. And those habits do indeed shape our hearts. They, and, but there's an, another type of habit that forms us as well. In fact, all of our actions, whether we recognize it or not, they form us. They have a shaping influence in our lives. And that would include whether, when, and with whom we share our faith. So this series of messages about developing an impulse for evangelism really is continuing the emphasis on our spiritual formation. I read an article back in December entitled, Sharing Faith Forms Faith by author Michelle Jones. I want you to hear what she says. She says, in the past, I focused my attention more on personal growth than on evangelism. I see now that what I and others have unwittingly done is equipped an army to feed and care for itself while leaving it unprepared for a wider battle. Sharing faith has to be taught as an integral part of formation. She goes on to say, so much of what I do on a daily basis involves helping an individual grow after they become a Christ follower. I don't think the average church staff, like me, she says, spends enough time teaching how evangelism can be formative not just proof of formation. So the very act of sharing our faith with others is formative in our lives. Not just proof that we have been formed. She she goes on, we talk about salt and light, but those images meant to benefit culture too often get lost in our consumer-shaped ministries. And then finally she writes, we are spiritually formed by and in the love of God in Christ. Evangelism is the fruit and root of our formation. To give the grace we have been given 
is not only evidence of our transformation, it is itself transforming. Every opportunity to share our faith with others challenges us to live what we say we believe. And every time we refuse to shrink away from that responsibility, we're strengthened in our faith and our witness. I love the way that she frames it. She says, sharing our faith, it forms and deepens our faith. That act of engaging in evangelism is not only transformative for those who would hear and believe, but it's transformative for those of us who have heard and believed already. It continues to form us as we engage in that. See, each of the Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all contain a call from Jesus given to his followers to share what they have been given in Christ with others. And so this morning as we launch this series of messages thinking about being commissioned, the big idea I want us to see from John chapter 20 this morning is this, is that we as a church, as individual Christians, followers of Jesus, we have been commissioned by Jesus. We've been commissioned by him. Now oftentimes when we think of being commissioned, we think of officers in military service right and there's a difference between non-commissioned officers and commissioned officers commissioned officers typically right they go to a military academy they go to officer training school they get a post-secondary education a college degree and they enter the ranks of leadership because they've been given a commission a government document granting them authority to lead in that particular branch of the armed services Right, they didn't join at 18 and work their way up the ranks. Right? They came in already in a commissioned position of leadership. See, when someone is commissioned, they are appointed to a task by someone who is a higher authority above them. So you have a ranking authority appointing an individual or a group to a particular task and endowing them with the authority to carry that out. That's what it means to be commissioned. And commissioning happens outside the military ranks. It happens in churches, depending upon the type of church government. You might have the elders who would gather in some churches to commission individuals to ministry service. Or you might have the church body vote to commission individuals into ministry service, appoint them to a task. It happens in the home. Kids, your parents who have authority over you, they commission you to fold the clothes. They commission you to clean your room. They commission you to dust the furniture, put away the dishes from the dishwasher, right? They've appointed you to a task that you are to do to the best of your abilities with a happy heart. <laughs> Some of you parents are like, come on. That's, it, it's those who rank in authority, who appoint individuals to a task and endow them with the authority to carry it out. To put it simply, Anytime a person or group with higher authority appoints a person or group with lesser authority to a task, they are commissioned. And that's exactly what Jesus does in John chapter 20 with his disciples. Notice in verse 21, Jesus tells his disciples, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In those last four words of the phrase, we see Jesus commissioning his followers, his disciples, to a particular task. But the question is, what, what is he commissioning them to? What is he sending them to accomplish? It's very clear in this verse that there's a comparison that's made between the Father having sent 
the Son, Jesus, and Jesus now sending His followers. The Father having sent the Son, Jesus now sending His followers. There's a clear comparison. As, even so. You see those words in in any literature that's making a comparison. So what's being compared there? Listen, the verb sent in verse 21 is in the perfect tense. He says, the Father has sent me. The perfect tense describes a completed action. Something that's happened. The Father has sent the Son. He has sent Jesus. And yet when Jesus says, even so I'm sending you, the verb sending is in the present tense. Doesn't describe completed action, but ongoing action. Something that's continuing to take place. And so Jesus says, as the Father has sent me completed action, I've come into human history. I've lived, I've died, I've been raised, I'm about to ascend. Even so, I am right now continuously, ongoing, sending you. In other words, the comparison is between the completed work of the Father who sent Jesus and the ongoing work of Jesus' followers whom Jesus is sending. And I believe this comparison indicates that Jesus is sending his disciples as the Father has sent him, that he's doing it to continue the mission he was sent to accomplish. Another way of saying it is this. Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost and to inaugurate the rule of heaven on earth as the king. We just sang about him as the king of kings. That's what he was sent for. Even so, As the Father has sent him, even so, Jesus is sending his followers to take the good news of his life, death, and resurrection, to be his body, his hands and feet, that would seek those who are lost and bring the message of salvation to them. And in so doing, expand the rule of heaven on earth, one person, one heart, one life at a time. See, when Jesus shows up in that room, he says to the disciples twice, peace be with you. Can you imagine why he would say that? They're huddling in fear because of the Jews who are outside, perhaps seeking to take their life. But that word peace, listen, it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. In the biblical sense, it means the presence of wholeness. So when Jesus shows up, the message he pronounces to his disciples is be whole, be whole, be at peace. And listen, that's the same message that we bring to the world. Is that there is wholeness, fullness, healing found in Jesus. If you believe upon him and his life that he lived in your place, his death that he died for your sins, his resurrection that he has conquered the grave, his ascension that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, his return one day to make all things new and right, that will slowly bring wholeness to your life. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So based on what Jesus says in verse 21, listen church, we ought to live a sent kind of life, a commissioned kind of life. We should enter every venue of vocation, every domain of relationship, every sphere of influence that we have 
with the expressed intention of seeing the rule of heaven on earth expand one person, one heart, one life at a time as we share the good news of what God has done in Christ to bring wholeness and healing to the world. Now for some, this will mean just living with a greater deal of intentionality in their current spheres. So let me ask you several questions. Do you live a sent kind of life in your neighborhood? It's not by accident that you live where you live. Do you know that? It wasn't just because you got a good interest rate and a great deal. That God has positioned you where you are on purpose. Do you see that you have a commission from Him in, with your neighbors? It's not by accident that you work where you work or that you attend school where you attend school. Do you see that you are to live a sent kind of life on your sports team, in your extracurricular activities, with your kids' extracurricular activities as you engage in conversation with other parents that you have contact with? That there is a commissioning by Jesus himself sending us. Do we see our presence in all these places as a commission from Jesus and embrace that with a degree of intentionality in the way that we have conversations? For some it just means that greater intentionality in those spheres. For others, listen, it might mean living with a greater deal of intentionality in a different sphere. It might mean to live a sent kind of life, might mean breaking out of your normal routine to start a new ministry or a new life group to reach people in your neighborhood. It might, living a sent kind of life might mean moving to a new city as a part of a new church plant somewhere. It might mean moving to places on the globe where the name of Jesus has not yet been heard. That, it might mean that for some. But for all of us, living a sent kind of life means that we take the commissioning of Jesus as the Father has sent me, seeking, saving the lost, inaugurating the rule of heaven on earth, bringing peace and wholeness and healing, taking that commission that he has sent us with more seriously and with greater intention in the ebbs and flows of our relationships it might not mean selling our homes and all of our possessions to go somewhere, but it might mean that. But no matter where we are in this, listen, we all need to see, we all need more of this sentness awakened within us. I know I do. I imagine you do as well. And listen, by the way, this, this sentness that Jesus gives, listen, it is the cure for your apathy and boredom. The cure for your apathy and boredom, listen, is not a larger screen and a new Netflix series. <laughs> the cure for your apathy and boredom is not a new hobby or more toys to pursue your current hobby. The cure for your apathy and boredom is to give yourself to something bigger than yourself. To be a part of a sent kind of people living a sent kind of life. This is what the early church was. They were a commissioned society, an appointed people. Listen to one church historian, Philip Schaff. He said this, Christianity once established was its own best missionary. It grew naturally from within. It attracted people to it by its very presence. 
It was a light shining in the darkness and illuminating the darkness. And wow, listen, there were no professional missionaries devoting their whole life to a specific work. Every congregation was a missionary society. And every Christian believer, a missionary inflamed by the love of Christ to convert his fellow man. We are commissioned by Jesus, church. As the Father has sent him, even so he is sending us. But what keeps us from living this sent kind of life? I think it's very simple, oftentimes, For many of us, including myself, on occasions, it is the fear of man. It is the fear of man. Now listen, it's important to take in a little bit of context here in the passage. When we begin reading in verse 19, the disciples have already been made aware of Jesus' resurrection. If you read earlier in John chapter 20, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find Peter and John going to Jesus' tomb, and they find it empty with the grave clothes lying there and his faith cloth folded up neatly in a different location, which is only one of those details that would have been included if the authors were recording history, not making up some story. We're told that upon entering the tomb and seeing this, that John believed And then further down, John writes, for as yet, in verse nine, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. So when John sees the grave is empty, the grave clothes lying there, the face cloth folded up, he believes that Jesus is risen from the grave. He understands all the things that Jesus has said that I must die in three days, rise again. It's like the light bulb goes on for John and he believes in the risen Jesus. Next, in verses 11 to 18, Mary Magdalene has an encounter with the resurrected Christ. She's weeping outside the tomb and she composes herself enough to stoop in and look. And when she does, she sees two angels sitting there, one where Jesus' head had laid, the other where his feet had rested. And they say to her, why are you crying? She says, because they've taken his body and I don't know where they have placed it. She turns around and there's a man standing in the entrance to the tomb. And she believes him to be the gardener. And she says, please tell me, sir, where have you taken him? And then the man calls her name and says, Mary. She cries out, teacher, because she recognizes it's Jesus himself standing at the mouth of the tomb. And she goes to cling to him and he says, don't cling to me. I have to go to the Father, but you go and tell the disciples everything that you've seen, everything that you've encountered, and we're told that she goes and reports to them that Jesus is risen. I have seen the Lord is exactly what she says to them in John chapter 20. So before we even get to our text, John believes upon the person and work of Jesus raised from the grave. Mary Magdalene encounters the risen Christ, goes and tells all the disciples, Jesus is not dead, he's alive. So at this point, the disciples are not unaware that the rabbi they had been following for the last several years who had been crucified and buried was risen from the grave. He was not dead, but alive. And yet when we find them on the evening of that same day, the same day that John and Peter find the empty tomb, 
The same day John believes upon the resurrected Jesus, the same day Mary sees him and speaks with him and tells the rest of the disciples, I have seen the Lord. On that same day, the first day of the week, Sunday evening, in verse 19, John tells us the disciples are huddling in a locked room on account of fear of the Jews. Despite believing, despite seeing, And hearing about the resurrection, the disciples are still living in fear for their own lives from the people who took Jesus' life even though Jesus was alive. Listen, it's the fear of man. Fear of what man may say to us, the fear of what man may do to us that keeps us from living this sent kind of life. It may be the fear of rejection that people would reject the truth that we are bringing to them, or they might even more close to home reject us and push us away. Maybe it's the fear of awkwardness in the course of those conversations, not knowing what to say, how to say it, or how to respond to questions that might come on account of things that we do say. Or the fear of disinterest, that people just aren't interested in hearing about Jesus. They're gonna brush it off. They don't want to have conversations about spiritual realities. And yet I would stand here this morning, church, to tell you that research, not my opinion, research bears out that our fears of these encounters are mostly unwarranted. And let me tell you why. There was a research study published in 2019 that was conducted by the Barna Group along with Alpha Course. Barna does all kinds of church research. Alpha is an evangelistic video-driven study that, that, that was born in England and has spread across the globe. And they conducted a study together and they sorted through, in, in this partnership, and they sorted through all these individuals that they asked questions of and separated them into three categories. One, lapsed Christians. Two, they called them um, religious non-Christians. And then the third category were atheist agnostics and nuns, no religious affiliation. So those three categories. And I want you to hear some of the data that came out of that survey. When they asked, when asked by researchers about their experiences with Christians trying to evangelize them, trying to share their faith, live out their commission, these two categories, lapsed Christians and non-Christians alike, both report being encouraged and discouraged by various methods that people engaged in. And I found this fascinating. Listen, 78% of lapsed and non-Christians combined report being encouraged by a casual one-on-one conversation, while 78% of both groups combined report being discouraged by a random on-the-street encounter with someone they've never met. In addition, 74% of both groups combined report being encouraged by a casual group conversation while 73% report being discouraged by someone handing them a gospel tract. 72% of both groups combined report being encouraged by a video with a discussion afterwards about spiritual things, while only 55% report being encouraged by some kind of concert venue with an altar call, like a traditional crusade that might have taken place years ago. 70% of both groups combined report being encouraged by a conversation with a person at a church they visited. Now, what do we make of all this data? 
it becomes very clear when asked how non-Christians and lapsed Christians, right, those who may have had some church experience but have fallen away, how they would like to explore the faith, the top four ways by far were casual one-on-one conversations, casual conversation within a group, discussion following a video presentation, or the conversation with the person at a church they visited. These four ways surpassed all others, blew them out of the water. And what stood out to me by that is this. The more personal the encounter, the more encouraging it was for the individual. The less personal the encounter, the more discouraging it was for the individual. What this means is that for three-fourths of the people with whom we would share our faith or engage in spiritual conversations, for them, they would walk away encouraged. So let me ask you a question this morning, church. Why are you so afraid of encouraging people? The fear of man can cripple us, but it ought not. To move beyond it, oftentimes it takes, I say all the time, it takes third thing that I want us to see here and that to, to live this kind of life, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I can remember in the first Back to the Future movie, I know I'm taking some of you back, some of you to your childhood, some of you may have never even seen this movie. I fully recognize that. But in the first Back to the Future movie, one of the opening scenes featured Dr. Emmett Brown and Marty McFly. That's a great name, isn't it? Trying to escape Libyan terrorists from whom Dr. Brown had swindled this plutonium, radioactive plutonium, that he was using to power his time-traveling DeLorean. It's a great premise for a movie, isn't it? Now that plutonium core was needed to generate 1.21 Gigawatts, one of the greatest lines in the 80s movies of all time, which by the way is enough power to light up more than 10 million light bulbs at one time. He needed it to power the flux capacitor in his time machine. Right. Great Scott is what he used, he used line throughout the movie. See, without the plutonium to generate the power of the DeLorean was a really cool looking car back in the 80s. But with the plutonium, that car could go anywhere in human history. It, could do, it was empowered to do amazing things. And listen, church, there is a power source that Jesus bestows upon his followers as he commissions them to live this sent kind of life. In verse 22, right after he commissions them to go as he has come, Jesus breathes on his disciples and commands them to receive the Holy Spirit. I find it fascinating the way John describes the coming of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus breathes on them. It took my mind back this week to Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter one. In chapter one, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. In Genesis two, whenever God forms the man from the dust of the ground, puts his hands in the dirt and forms him, and then he leans down and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And so what God does in Genesis 2 is he takes a lifeless body and brings it to life. He animates it, breathes a living soul into it. And here in John chapter 20, when Jesus commissions his disciples, he says he breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 2, the man awakens, is animated, a living soul, and then he's given a mission to work and to keep. 
Here in John chapter 20, Jesus breathes, says receive the Holy Spirit, and they commissions them to their mission, even as the Father has sent them, him, so he is sending them to bring life to those who are spiritually dead by bearing witness to his work. See, throughout the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit shows up so often, listen, it is with the power to bear witness to the risen Christ. To live out that commission. I'm gonna give you two examples. I could give you more. You know I could. But I'm gonna give you two. Acts chapter four, verse eight. Peter has just healed a crippled man and there are people who are questioning them. The rulers and the elders of the people are questioning Peter about it. Where did he get the authority and the power to do it? And this is what Peter says in Acts chapter four, verse eight. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and then gives witness to the risen Christ in front of the rulers and the elders of the people. Acts chapter 9, after Saul has his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus and is blinded, God sends a man by the name of Ananias to remove the scales from Paul's eyes. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias departed, he entered the house, laying hands on Saul. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, verse 20, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Scales fall from his eyes, filled with the Holy Spirit. He starts preaching. When the Spirit comes, it comes with an empowerment for witness to the risen Christ. So listen, receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not intended to be a tingly sensation when your tonsils or toenails get tickled or your heart flutters or your mind is paralyzed or your emotions run wild. Nor is it it intended to enable you to shoot lightning bolts from your fingers like a Jedi or Sith Lord in Star Wars. But if you believed on Jesus and have received the Holy Spirit, the purpose of that reception of his presence in your life is to empower you to serve as a witness to the risen Christ and fulfill the commission he has issued to each of his followers. And when we lean into oppor- listen, when we lean into opportunities to share our faith with others, we're leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit when we lean away from those opportunities to share our faith with others, we're leaning away from the power of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. 
Because the very Holy Spirit that Jesus commands them to receive, he indwells the life of every Christian. He is our power source. And he can generate a whole lot more than 1.21 gigawatts. He can make spiritually stillborn people come to life. He can raise the dead. He can slay your fear. He can give sight and hearing to spiritually blind and deaf individuals. He empowers us for this. Lean into that power. So practically, what do we do with all this? How do we live this kind of life? As we close this morning, I'm gonna give you four eyes. That's what they teach you to do in seminary, right? You just make everything start with the same letter. Four eyes. First, intercede. That's where it starts, church. Living out this commission. So I wanna encourage you on this runway to Easter this year, these next five weeks, that you would spend time praying for at least one unchurched friend, family member, coworker, or neighbor, someone who is lost, that Jesus came to seek and save. If no one comes to mind, ask God, bring someone to my mind, place someone on my heart whom I can intercede for, that I can ask you to intervene in their lives to save them. That's the kind of prayers we ought to be praying for those individuals. God, that you would remove the scales. That God, that you would lift the veil from their heart. Give them eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to know the truth, and hearts to love the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Would you do that for them? Because only you can. Would you begin to pray and intercede for those individuals? And maybe in the context of your life group this week, Maybe you would share their first name. You don't just share all the details of their life, just share their first name and say, I'm praying for this individual over these next five weeks. Would you join me in praying for that person? And that together as as a, a small group, we would be praying for God to intervene, for God to show up, for God to save, for the power of God to flex in that individual's life and bring them to life. Second, initiate. Initiate, start spiritual conversations with people. Listen, when you encounter a man who's been raised from the dead, you cannot help but tell people about him. Notice what happened to Peter. Peter goes from hiding behind a locked door, afraid of his life, to standing before thousands of his fellow Jewish countrymen at Pentecost and telling them they crucified Jesus. Or, no, or, or what happens to, to Paul in his life when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He goes from trying to dispel the resurrection of Jesus as some kind of myth to proclaiming the truth of Jesus, from trying to kill those who love Jesus to starting a riot in Ephesus. That's what happened. Because all the idols of the people, the, 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 the craftsmen couldn't sell them anymore. Because so many people had believed on Jesus. And he's kind of like Scrappy-Doo and Scooby-Doo, right? He wants to go out and address the crowd. Let me at him, right? 
When you encounter a man who's been raised from the grave, you can't help but speak about him. One of the things that the data from Barner and Alpha study revealed is that people are open to and encouraged by conversations. And if we are to fulfill our commission, listen, one of the things I think we have to grow in is our conversation skills. There's a book. I'm going to order 10 copies of it this week. I'll put them back there. First come, first serve. Right? What that means is actually take it. Because somebody would be like, oh, no, I'm not going to take it. I don't spend my... First people who get to the kiosk, take it. It's called The Six Conversations, written by a lady by the name of Heather Holloman. And she talks about our relational mindsets and how to engage in deep, meaningful conversations with people. I'm actually going to take the students, our, our boys, through this book to learn how to connect with other people and have meaningful conversations because it's helpful at that level. But listen, it's also helpful at the level of trying to move surface conversations to substantive conversations that can lead to spiritual conversations. As she takes people through the, the six dimensions of our humanity, the social, physical, emotional, cognitive, volitional, and spiritual. She's a professor of communication at Penn State who's a believer and leverages this model for having conversations with people about Jesus. There'll be 10 copies back there next week. Take one. And learn to initiate spiritual conversations and grow in that. The third eye is invest. Over the next five weeks, look for at least one opportunity a week to serve a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor. It could be as simple as offering to take their trash cans back in if they're out of town after the trash runs. It could be as easy as helping with yard work as winter turns into spring. It could be giving them a ride whenever their car is in the shop. It could be bringing them a meal whenever they are in a, a, a difficult situation. It could be any number of things, but serve them, invest in their lives, make relational deposits so that whenever they hear you speak of this Jesus who came to not be served, but serve, they see you embodying that reality in the way that you interact with them. And then fourth, invite. In the next five weeks, invite someone, listen, not only to church, but invite them to consider the person and work of Jesus. Please do invite them to church, but also invite them to consider who Jesus is. Listen, for some people, that invitation, whether it be to consider Christ or to come to church, might be the thing that God uses to turn the lights on for them. It was for me. I remember as a 15-year-old <laughs> filled with insecurity, seeking human approval and acceptance through academics, through athletics, who was filled with all kinds of lust that ran rampant in my mind and my heart. I remember a young man who was on the cross-country team with me he began to invite me to come to his church. I'd never been to church outside of being christened as a baby because my grandmother was staunch Roman Catholic and going to a VBS every once in a while as a child to get snow cones. 
But I remember he began to invite me. He says, hey, come on Wednesday nights. We have a Bible study and we sing some songs, but then we go play basketball afterwards. Sounds good. I can sit through a Bible study and sing some goofy songs to go play basketball. I mean, that was how I thought. But every Wednesday night, I always had, I was never on my radar. And so one Wednesday, I remember working out in my dad's shop and seeing this group of guys, one of them my friend from the cross-country team, walking through my yard because the church they were inviting me to was a block from my house. So they're walking through my yard, and they come, and they're like, hey, dude, you're coming to church with us tonight. I was like, all right, let me go wash my hands, change clothes. Told my mom, hey, I'm going to church down the street tonight with my friends. She's like, okay, I'll see you when you get home. I literally walked a block down the street. Met the student pastor. They introduced me. We went upstairs into the youth room. Listen, this was the days of overhead projectors and transparencies. Songs from the loft cassettes, right? There wasn't no live music. They put that joker in the, in the, in the cassette player, push play. They sang some silly songs. I had no idea what they were singing about. The youth pastor got up to teach. He's teaching a Bible study. At the end of the Bible study, I hear him present the gospel for the first time in my life. Never heard it before. Growing up in the South, I'd heard the name of Jesus, but never understood that I was a sinner separated from God that needed to be saved from an eternal condemnation in his wrath, and that God had made a way for that in the sending of his Son as a Savior, a substitute at the cross for me. And in that moment, in that moment, I realized I was separated from this great God who had made me. That I was a sinner condemned under his wrath. That apart from Jesus, I had no hope. God flipped the switch in my heart and mind that night. And while everyone else went to play basketball afterwards, the very thing I had come for I sat in a room with that youth pastor and he led me to faith in Christ. Listen church, the reason I'm here today is because someone invited me to church. They cared enough about me to risk rejection the loss of a friendship and share the good news of Christ and invite me to come consider him in the body of a local church. Following that, several weeks later, I was baptized. A couple years later, the Lord called me to ministry. And you say, oh, God would have done something. At some point, if that kid hadn't invited you, I believe that with all my heart. But he used him in the same way that he can use you. We are commissioned by Jesus to not allow the fear of man to cripple and paralyze you. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit to lean in to those opportunities. Pray for God to work in the lives of those that you know. 
Initiate conversations. Invest in serving them. Invite them to consider Jesus and be a part of his church. That he can make their life whole. On this runway to Easter, may we see that even as the Father has sent the Son, so even so he's sending you and you and you and you and you and me. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are humbled that you would love us enough to seek us and to save us when I wanted nothing to do with you. You were chasing after me. And you found me even when I didn't know I needed to be found. And there are teenagers and adults across our community who are in that same place. Would you Would you do a work here in drawing men and women to yourself through your church as we embrace the commission that you've given us? And while it is good that we attend all sorts of Bible studies and experience personal growth and development, understanding more clearly who you are, in raising disciples. I pray that you would help us to see that a part of being a disciple is not only educating ourselves about the scriptures, but it's evangelizing the world. Give us greater intentionality to live a sent kind of life right where you've planted us and leverage every relationship for the sake of the good news that you might be gracious to save. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.